It's a privilege to be with you again this morning, and we are now the majority of the way through the book of 1 John, and this is the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned specifically in his gospel. John included some lengthy sections about the Holy Spirit, but his emphasis in 1 John is more on obedience to God's commands and love for fellow believers. Now, the Holy Spirit has a role in obeying God's commands and loving fellow believers, but his role is perhaps a bit behind the scenes in those regards. But in today's passage, the Holy Spirit is on center stage. Now, in our church and in churches that are theologically similar to ours, I might say we tend not to talk about the Holy Spirit a great deal. Part of the reason for that perhaps could be explained by the words of Jesus in John 16, 14. He that is the Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit's role is to declare Jesus. It makes sense then that we don't hear as much, maybe even in the Bible, about the Holy Spirit as we do about Jesus. Jesus Christ is front and central in the Bible because the Bible is the story of redemption, of mankind's redemption. Jesus, as the Redeemer, is the one who reveals God to us in a way that we can understand. When God communicated his love to us, he did so by sending Jesus to become one of us. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the form that we understand him. Therefore, the Bible focuses substantially on Jesus. But for today, I want to talk a little bit on who is the Holy Spirit. I'll say, first of all, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit compose the mystery of the Holy Trinity, one God in three persons. As we sing in the hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee, Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Now, in theological terms, the Holy Spirit is called the third person of the Trinity, as part of the Great Commission, Jesus commanded, and this is Matthew 28:19, "Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." The Father, who is the first person in the Trinity, sent his Son Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, to be the Savior. Before Jesus left the earth, he promised to send a third person. John 14, 16 and 17, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. God sent his Son, Jesus. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the first, second, and third persons of the Trinity, we do not mean that one is more important than the other, or that one existed before the others. All three members of the Trinity have existed from eternity. 
all have complete privileges of being God, and they dwell in perfect peace and unity. So the Holy Spirit is God, one member of the Trinity, and he has all the attributes of God. He is holy. He is all-knowing. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is immortal. He's not subject to death. He's unchangeable. He's just and righteous. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He's merciful. He's kind. He is loving. The whole the Holy Spirit is among us and in us today. He is fully God, and he penetrates into our deepest thoughts. He knows our personality. He knows our deepest motivations. He knows why you came today. He knows what you are thinking. He sees your every attitude and your every reaction. He's, he's unseen deity among us and in us this morning. Now, we'll get to our text later, but for the moment, I want to talk a bit more about the Holy Spirit. Let me state at the beginning that I believe that churches, similar to ours, have tended to push the Holy Spirit aside. When I say churches like ours, I mean churches that are very serious about scriptural truth. They care about doctrine, and they care about righteous living. These churches have pounded on the topic of correct doctrine, on Bible knowledge, and careful living, and rightly so. We would never apologize for that or change that because most, most everything we know about God and most everything we know about pleasing God comes directly from Scripture. But it is possible for Christians to grow cold and pharisaical. Listen to the words of Jesus which he sent to the church at Ephesus. This is Revelation 2, starting at verse 2. Jesus said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are, they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, in the church in Ephesus, in spite of their righteous living there, indefatigable labors, their zeal, their hatred of wickedness, the Holy Spirit was not at home. The Holy Spirit, in fact, was calling for them to repent under pain of having their lampstand removed. Now, I'm not suggesting this about our church. I'm simply stating that zeal without love is a tendency. I desire for the Holy Spirit to feel at home in our church. Now, there are some reasons that churches have become skeptical about too much focus on the Holy Spirit when we see the excesses of worship 
that have been attributed to the Holy Spirit, all kinds of chaotic expressions of worship, so-called, have been attributed to the Holy Spirit. One wonders about the ecstatic style of worship that includes people falling down and rolling, for example, during worship, it seems to me excessive. Paul allude, alluded to this kind of chaos in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, where he said, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, chaos, everybody's speaking these languages, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Will, not, will they not say you're mad? And I've been in worship services where I had a strong discomfort with the chaotic expressions that were supposedly of the Holy Spirit that were happening around me. And most would agree, most here I think would agree that there have been some excesses in the expressions of the Holy Spirit in terms of things like slaying in the Spirit and uh, gold dust uh, services where gold dust floats down on the people and so on. But there is a danger of overreacting to those excesses in a, in a way that quenches or grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, let's remind ourselves what a spirit is. Uh, A.W. Tozer, from whom I got some of my um, thoughts today, said that a spirit is a different mode of being. We're, we're used to the we're used to the mode of being that involves bodies. And so we live in these bodies, and this is how we exist, and this is how we live. But a spirit is a different kind of a being. It's, uh, it's a living being that does not have a body. And so it's a different mode of being, a spirit is not made of matter. A spirit doesn't have weight. It doesn't have size. It doesn't have color. It doesn't occupy space. It's a living being without a body. And we should think of the Holy Spirit as a person. The Holy Spirit's not an impersonal power like the Force in Star Wars. He's not a vague enthusiasm or a vague energy. Although he has enthusiasm and he has energy, the Holy Spirit is not a personification either. He's, he's not like Jack Frost, who is the personification of everything cold. The Holy Spirit is a person with personality, with individuality, with a will with intelligence, with memory. He has sympathy, he thinks, he communicates, he has feelings. He loves, he feels grief, he feels the hurt of feeling quenched. The New Testament specifically tells us that we can quench and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Quench is from 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. 
grieve, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All right, what does quench mean? We talk about quenching a fire. When we leave a campsite, we, we quench the fire with water. We put out the flame. We take the life out of the fire. And when we quench the spirit, we pour cold water over him, as it were. We put out the fire of the spirit. We put out the life and the heat of the spirit's enthusiasm and desires. You can, you can quench a friend by, by turning on him. And so if you invite a friend into your home and then suddenly you, you viciously turn on him, you'll hush him into uh, hurt silence. The same can be done to the Holy Spirit. So we can quench the Holy Spirit by pouring cold water on his enthusiasm or by turning on him. We grieve him by sin and by disobedience. The Holy Spirit lives in, in us, and when we choose to sin, we cause him grief, sorrow, sadness, because we refuse to submit to the laws of God, which he is upholding in our lives. Now, I don't suggest that the Holy Spirit is grieved Because he's frail or dependent on our obedience for his sense of self-identity. No, that's not it at all. The, the Holy Spirit is eternally self-sufficient without my patting him on the back and, and telling him he's okay. The Holy Spirit is grieved because when I sin, I damage myself and I always end up damaging others around me. The Holy Spirit is grieved when those he loves are hurt and damaged and unwell because of sin. Now, here's something important to understand. The grief of the Holy Spirit happens only because of his love for us. There is no true grief outside of love. So, let's suppose that you have a son that you've taught and you've prayed for and and as he enters adolescence he begins to connect with another young man of of bad influences and you begin to watch his life deteriorate and in spite of all your prayers and what you taught him he begins to steal and use drugs and breaks the law and one night, you are called to jail where these two young men have been arrested. Now, as you go to, see, to the jail to see your son and his friend, you may have pity on the other boy. You may feel sorry for the other boy, but you'll be grieved over your son. And, and if and when those two boys go to prison, you'll feel sad for the other boy, but for your own son, your heart will be uh, stabbed as with a sword, with grief. Why? The difference is how much you knew and how much you loved your own son. The difference is love. The more you love, the deeper the possibility for grief becomes. And the Holy Spirit is love. God is love. 
and so we can grieve him. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus in us. John 14, 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, Jesus promised that he would not leave the believers, the disciples, as orphans. But in fact, Jesus did leave the disciples. The disciples watched him as he was lifted up and, and ascended into heaven. And Jesus has been in heaven since then, sitting at the right hand of the Father. To return one day, but Jesus now has a body, and that is where Jesus is. And Je but Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. So nearly 2,000 years later, it could look as though we were left as orphans. But Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And since the, the Trinity is indivisible, the presence of the Holy Spirit is as the presence of Jesus in our lives. The most important thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit that he's present today. He's with you. He is in you. The very life of God is being played out in your life if you are a believer. And that makes your life infinitely significant. It makes your activities significant. It makes your thoughts significant. It makes your choices significant. Everything that you do in life is significant because the life of God is being played out in your life. But what kind of presence is the Holy Spirit in your life? What, what's the nature of this uh, deity that is with you and in you at all times and in all places? Is the Holy Spirit like an eagle watching, ever, ever watching in order to find you in some sin? See, our, our mental image of God drives how we feel about God and how we respond to God. This is a quote from Tozer. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We, ha we tend, he said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Is your mental image of God accurate? Is it balanced? Well, how then do we know what the Holy Spirit is like? We know what the Holy Spirit is like because he is like Jesus, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Jesus is just like the Father. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus. He's called the Spirit of Jesus. 
Now, in order to know what the Holy Spirit is like, we need only to remember what the Bible says about Jesus and, and what Jesus said about himself. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. So, what does the Holy Spirit think about children? Or we know. Because we know what Jesus thought of children. Jesus took the children into his lap. He, he held them. He put his hand on their head. He was happy to have them sit with him. He was pleased when they came to him. He blessed them in the name of the Father. Even so, the Holy Spirit thinks about children. What does the Holy Spirit think about sick people? Well, we know what Jesus thought about sick people. He had compassion on the sick, on the blind, on the maimed. He healed those who came to him. What does the Holy Spirit think about sinners? We know. Jesus had compassion on the sinners, like the woman caught in adultery who was dragged in in front of him, to whom he said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Or to that criminal on the cross, to whom Jesus said, I say to you, you will be with me today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now Jesus was the most magnetic person that ever lived. The crowds he drew, 5,000 men, men only to hear him preach. 4,000 men only to hear him preach. There were no crowds like that going to hear the chief priests speak. Jesus was magnetic. He, he, he drew crowds. All kinds of people came to Jesus. The poor came, the sick came, the sinners came, the publicans came, the demon-possessed were brought to him, the deaf, the blind, the lame came to him, the dispossessed came to him. People were drawn to Jesus because Jesus was the kindest of men. He, he was gentle. He listened. He cared. He communicated with everyone. He was winsome. People were comfortable with him. That's why mothers brought their children to him. That's why the tired and the weary and the oppressed were drawn to him. And even so it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter and the helper. That's the divine presence in your life. That's what the divine presence in your life is like. Now, some people claim to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and they're stern and they're harsh. Other people do, if I can say it, 
weird or bizarre things in the name of the Holy Spirit. But you will know the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in a person's life by the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not harsh and severe. The fruit of the Spirit is love and gentleness and kindness and long-suffering. The demonstration of the Holy Spirit is not bizarre activities. The demonstration of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And so those who are living in the Spirit show the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, patience, gentleness, self-control. And why do Spirit-led people demonstrate these qualities? Because they're living out who the Holy Spirit is. They're working out the very behavior of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now turning to our text for today. How does the Holy Spirit fit into the discussion about assurance of eternal life? Because that's really uh, a key to 1 John, the book of 1 John, is John trying to assure believers living in godliness that they have eternal life. And so we have verse 24. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, so the answer to that uh, question, how does the Holy Spirit play into this role of assurance of salvation? The answer seems rather simple. We can know we have eternal life by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Very simple, right? Well perhaps not quite so simple because then John goes on to say chapter 4 verse 1 beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world so the spirit that sometimes people sense in their lives could be a spirit other than the Holy Spirit and there is an ominous warning about this in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, where we read, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And we're told in the book of Revelation that the devil deceives the whole world. So it's no surprise that he or his demons or the false teachers, false prophets under him should disguise themselves as angels of light in order to deceive people. It seems to me that we lack an understanding of the utter wickedness of the devil. It's, it's his design, if it were possible, to keep people out of heaven and relegate them to hell. Although we do have to keep in mind that his power is always limited by what God chooses to limit him to. But here in chapter 4, verse 1, we are warned not to believe every spirit. So we want to understand how this Holy Spirit helps us to know that we have eternal life. How does the Holy Spirit help us to know we have eternal life? A verse from Romans 8 will help us in this. The Spirit 
himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, Romans 8, 16. So one job of the Holy Spirit is to testify to us that we are the children of God. Uh, someone might think, well, I don't remember the Holy Spirit ever communicating that to me, saying that to me. But if you look there, it's the Spirit testifying to our spirit. This is not a verbal transaction between two beings with bodies and mouths and vocal cords. This, this is a transaction between the Holy Spirit and our spirit, the non-body uh, part of our being. So how should we expect the Holy Spirit to testify to our spirit that we are God's child? It happens when we read and study scripture because we know that the spirit works through the word of God and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God Ephesians 6 17 so the tool that the Holy Spirit will use is scripture without significant reading the Bible the Holy Spirit will have little opportunity to testify to you or to comfort you that you are his child so without Bible reading, you're likely starving yourself of the assurance of salvation that the Holy Spirit desires to share with your spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies through us through Scripture, and the other way the Holy Spirit testifies to us about eternal life is spiritual progress. And this is a theme that John has pounded on continually in this book. You can know you are saved when you obey God's commands. You can know you are saved when you love the saints. If you're not obedient to God's commands and or if you do not love your fellow believers, God does not promise that you will have confidence in your faith, confidence in your salvation, in fact, when you're living in disobedience, you're going to experience the conviction of the Spirit and doubts will arise. And you will lack assurance of your salvation. The Holy Spirit will testify to your spirit when you read Scripture, when you obey God, and when you love the saints. All right, now for the warning in verses 1 through 3. I'll read verses 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already is in the world. All right, the reason we cannot trust every spirit is because many false prophets are in the world. And the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world, and in fact, Many antichrists are in the world, according to John earlier in his book. Uh, the false prophets and the spirit of antichrist might be the same thing. The spirit of the uh, spirit of 
Antichrist works through false prophets, false teachers, and the Antichrist will be the ultimate false teacher. But someone might want to know, well, how will I know when I am encountering a spirit at all, whether good or whether evil? Because I'm not used to encountering spirits in my life. Well, that's a great question. And I think what John has in mind here is, is the spiritual experience or uh, demonstrations of spiritual power. Not all spiritual experiences or demonstrations of spiritual power come from God. The devil is able to perform signs and wonders even through his followers. Consider these verses from Mark 13, 21 and 2. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, I don't pretend to know this morning how many signs and wonders are being performed by evil spirits or false prophets today. I myself have not seen much of that. Other people have seen some of that or at least will testify that they have seen that. And I think that's very possible to read missionary stories from more Africa or aboriginal kinds of lands, then you will hear of very many demonstrations of power from evil sources. But, but here's the point. Both the Holy Spirit and evil spirits have spiritual power. The Holy Spirit, angels, demonic spirits, they all have spiritual power, and we need to be sure our spiritual experience is not drawing us into the wrong kind of powers. And now there are all kinds of dabblings into, in our culture into the spirit world. They're not all huge, sensational kinds of things. New Age kinds of experiences, mysticism, occultic experiences, and so forth that are not from God. Some of them appear quite harmless. And, and there is, at least I would say, a, a great effort to normalize these experiences in our culture the number of movies about paranormal topics is off the charts. And, and I would also suggest even that series such as Harry Potter likely have the effect of normalizing spiritual experiences that are not from God. Now, I especially worry about those kinds of spiritual experiences where people experience a, an emotional high of some sort. People who experience a high usually seek to replicate that high over and over again, and, and they may not take the time to ask the question, is this of God? And so they can be drawn into a new age or a mysticism, of John told us how to test if a spiritual experience is from the Holy Spirit. Verses 2 and 3. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. 
And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Now, I don't think this is an exact formula for, um, it's not probably an exact question to ask. Uh, now, I remember in, in my training at one point in time, I was taught that this is a formula. If you ever encounter a, you know, seemingly demon-possessed person, you ask the question, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? And the response to that was supposed to identify whether or not, or what kind of spirit we were dealing with. Now, in John's context, with the presence of Gnosticism in those days, um, I can understand why John would have, would have included this. Because the false teachings of the Gnostics, really, one of their big teachings was that the Son of God could not come and live in a body. It's impossible, because the body is evil, and so this teaching about Jesus Christ uh, being the Son of God has to be false. But I think the point here is that any spiritual experience which does not give Jesus Christ his proper place is a false spiritual experience. The Holy Spirit will always uphold the biblical Jesus. Any religious experience that denies the biblical Jesus as the source of all spiritual life is a spirit of false prophecy. And so we need to know the biblical Jesus. And the biblical Jesus is something along these lines. Jesus, who existed in eternity past, was sent by his father to take on a bodily form. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And he lived a sinless life, and he willingly gave his body to die on the cross of Calvary as a substitutionary death that we might be forgiven. And he died, but he rose on the third day. And he ascended to heaven and glorified for him, and he, he sits there on the right hand of God, and one day he will return to gather his saints and to judge the world. Now that is an example of the biblical Jesus. Now, suppose that you, well, let's just suppose that you were attending a paranormal convention and you walk around saying, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Repent and believe in him. Will the people there agree with you? Will they accept you? They will not. You can tell the working of the Holy Spirit from false spiritual experiences by whether a biblical view of Jesus is represented. That's how you can tell. Now for the last three verses, I'm in verse 4, reading through verse 6. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Holy Spirit is superior to all spirits. Uh, as John wrote about the false prophets and the antichrists in the world, he may have been concerned that the readers would be afraid. And demonic things are scary. They can be very disturbing. And so John added this assurance for them. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. As believers, we have all overcome the evil of the world and the devil because the Holy Spirit is in us. No one can ultimately harm us when we have the protection of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, that's not to suggest that we will not have failures. Holy Spirit will not stop us from every sin. It, doesn't, it is not to indicate that we will not have hardships. This world is still attended with many hardships and pains, but we are overcomers in our faith. We can be assured of eternal life because the Holy Spirit is in us. Now, in the final two verses, John gave a statement about recognizing believers, discerning believers from the false prophets. Both verses 5 and 6 start with a pronoun which we need to identify. Verse 4, they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. All right, who's they? So we have to look back on uh, in this chapter to see who the they refers to, and I believe they refers back to verse 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets are of the world. They speak as the world, that is to say, they don't speak about Jesus Christ as the true Savior, and the people of the world are glad to hear them. Because the people of the world also don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord, nor do they want to acknowledge him as Lord. False prophets do not identify Jesus as Lord and Savior, and those who hear them of the world are very happy. to hear from false prophets that there is no need to submit to Jesus Christ. Now, the pronoun in verse 6 is we. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we might suggest that the we there is a reference to all Christians as they talk about and as they testify about Jesus Christ. But I think it makes more sense in this case to suggest that the we that John was referring to was we as in the apostles and as in the other holy writers of scripture. We, those of us who are being led by the Holy Spirit 
and, and through whom the Bible is coming to us, anyone who hears us, anyone who hears these scripture, you can tell believers by the way that they respond to scripture. People of the Holy Spirit hear the Bible message. He who hears God hears us. <clears throat> he who is not of God does not hear us. The, the holy writers of scripture. People who love and submit to scripture are saved. Those who ignore, those who degrade, those who have a hostile reaction to scripture are not saved. Now, we apply this as a rule of thumb because we, we cannot have absolute evidence of what is going on in a person's heart. But people's love or lack of love for Scripture tells us a great deal about where they stand with the Holy Spirit and with salvation. Well, there's where we need to end for today, and I thank you for your attention. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your Holy Spirit. We desire, desire to walk in the Spirit. We desire to honor the Spirit. Father, we desire to live in ways that do not quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit. And Father, we desire that your Holy Spirit work in our lives in such a way to bring comfort and help, um, which has been promised to us in Scripture. We ask that you would be with us as we continue to worship this morning in song, and, and um, that you would um, help us to do those things which, which bring honor to you as we, as we walk in the Spirit this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.